Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. This morning we're coming together around the Lord's table as we try to do quarterly here in the church. And as you well know, the Lord's Supper is one of the most special services I feel that the church partakes in. It is commanded by God to be done by Jesus himself, along with the uh, baptism, the ordinance of baptism, and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And we gather to do it in a very special way, I think, and, and in a very special manner. And that's what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to gather together and do that. With that, it's one of the few services that I ever do that I don't do a ton of preparation and notes ahead of time. Uh, we actually decided this morning, I've been praying about all week, came up and spent some time in prayer yesterday and this morning on what God would have me uh, speak from and about. And he laid a passage on my heart this morning, and we're going to open that together before we partake, partake at the table together. So I ask this of you, if you have a Bible with you, please turn to a very familiar passage, I hope, in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. If you will turn to Matthew, the 26th chapter, the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew. If you happen to be visiting with us or you don't have your Bible with you in front of you in the pew or the new pew Bibles that I think the deacons uh, provided for us there, you're able to open an it to Matthew 26. And once you have found the 26th chapter, if you'll look for the 17th verse, and once you have found that, the 26th chapter of Matthew, the 17th verse, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me for the reading of God's word in honor of it this morning. So it says this in that 26th chapter of Matthew, the 17th verse, it says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Then in verse 20 it says, When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and broke it. And gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Pray with me. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing we've already received through our fellowship, through our, our singing, through the wonderful talent that you have provided folks here in our body. Thank you for all of that this morning. And now as we approach your throne of grace through the very word this morning, Father, focus our attention only upon what your Son Jesus Christ has done for us. As we come in remembrance this morning, Father, let us remember that which he has done. And may you make very little of me and very much of you, that you may be glorified in this place. And this we pray in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. 
It's a very interesting text. Kind of takes you through a swing of things if you look at it, actually. I love the way this uh, particular part of the text starts. You know the story. You know where we're at when it comes to the story of, of Jesus Christ. He has walked with his disciples now for some three years or so as a group. He's been alive on this earth some 33 years. He's been moving about amongst the people for some time now. And, and it's, it's come to his attention by the Holy Spirit, by his Father, that his time on this earth is drawing nigh. That the time on this earth is coming to an end. He's been with his disciples amongst the people and... It says there, as we started reading, that now that he has walked with them, now that he's gone through a few things, now that you've seen Mary come on the scene and anoint his feet, and he, he talks about his death coming, and, and the disciples aren't quite understanding what's going on with him at the moment. He's, he gathers them together, and he says to them there, as he started, he, he says, go and, and find a man to... Tell him that we'll be gathering at his house for Passover. Notice the very first verse we read there sets a time for us. It sets a time. It doesn't mean much to us, but it says it's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover kind of interchange together. Winds up being about an eight-day affair or so where they hang out. The Unleavened Bread, if you remember, is a remembrance of them as one of their festivals it's it's a part of their remembrance process. If you remember when they were escaping, when they were expelled, when God had taken them out of, of bondage, one of the things that he told them is, is don't take anything leavened with you. Leavening for them represented the things of the world where they were. They were to take only unleavened things. And so they had a feast every year that would remind them of the fact that God had said, you're, you're to be set apart. <laughs> you're to leave these that, that have put you in bondage. This world that's had you in bondage, you're to leave and you're not to take any of it with you. Those of you who make bread, and I am not a breadologist or whatever, a baker, I guess is what that would be. You realize whenever you do, you do bread, a lot, of, a lot of folks that make homemade bread will take a pinch off of what they're about to bake, and they put it aside to be the, the leaven for the next loaf. And what he's telling them is, with that unleavened bread festival, or the, the remembrance of that, is don't take a pinch of the world with you. I'm going to be everything you need. Don't, don't take any of that with you. I've got you covered. See, see where they're at? See where they're at as we start this? This is, this is their mindset. This is what they're thinking about. They're thinking about God has provided for them a way out of bondage. And he said, you don't need to bring anything to provide for yourself. I've got you. I've got this. You don't need anything of the world. So he says there's this, this first day of, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that also sets for us a particular date and time. If you go back and look at this particular Passover, you can date it in time. They were on the 14th of Nisan when this started. And if you put that in history, you can place it in a particular time, a date, and a year. That's how they know when Jesus was murdered. He was hung on a cross. It's the 14th of Nisan. It's also the day that they're going to be sacrificing lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb. They said that the blood ran knee-deep from the temple down into the Kidron Valley into the stream and flowed towards Bethlehem from the number of lambs that would be slain that day for Passover. Again, because Passover was something set forth in the Old Testament, had to do with the exodus and the saving of God, if you remember, from bondage, and it had to do with the death angel. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But just to set the time frame for me, that, that's what the disciples are thinking about. And Jesus says for them, hey, when they ask, where, where do you want to do this? 
Where do you want to get together and do this at? He knew it had to be done in Jerusalem because that's what was prescribed in the Old Testament law. He said, so I tell you what, guys, why don't you go into the city, Jerusalem, and you're going to find a certain man. <laughs> now, if I were to tell you that we were going to go have dinner at a friend's house or somebody's house down in Wilmington this afternoon, and if I got the deacons together and said, hey, guys, why don't you all jump in the car, run down, you're going to find a certain man down in Wilmington, tell him we're coming to his house for lunch. What, what would be your question? <laughs> What man? <laughs> what man? If you look at some of the other uh, gospel accounts of this, Jesus narrows it down for him. He says, a man with a water pitcher. That would help, wouldn't it? So I said, okay, here's the deal. Deacons, get in the car. Drive down to Wilmington. You're going to find a certain man carrying a bottle of water. Tell him we're headed over to his house for lunch. Tell him we're headed over to his house for lunch. But that's the direction that he gave them. There's a note in that for us. There was a note in that for them, and there's a note for us. This wasn't something Jesus decided in the spur of the moment. This was the plan of God. This was the plan of God that this would take place. Why? Because Jesus is headed to do the thing that he came for on this earth. To seek and to save the lost. How was he going to save the lost? By sacrificing himself for our sins. He was walking to the door of what it was he was sent to do. And God had every step in the palm of his hand in full control. Even down to the man whose house they were going to eat at. Speaks volumes into our life, doesn't it? Because you could read this story and think that man kind of interjected himself in the form of Judas in the story. No. God is sovereign. God had all things in control. So he sends them out and he says to them, you go find this, this certain man and, and you tell him this statement down in verse 18. He says, the teacher says, I find it interesting that he uses the term teacher. Um, you'll see later that uh, Judas uses the reference rabbi. There were many of those in the community that saw him as just another great intellectual mind in the religious world. That he knew a lot of things, but they didn't understand in their heart and mind that he was God in human form. So he says, you go and you tell him the teacher says, my time is at hand. There's the reference to, about, is to what is about to happen in his life. There's the reference to the fact that he is about to do that which God had asked him to do and sent him to do from the portals of heaven. His time now is at hand. How many times through Scripture have we seen him say, why don't you do this, Jesus? Why don't you do this? And he says, my time is not yet at hand. But now all of it changes. And he says, my time is at hand. That which he knew that his father had sent him for was right before him. And he says, tell him that my time is at hand. And I'm going to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So not only are, are we seeing that, that God had this, this preparation already set forth, but we see he's involving the disciples and, and Jesus in this preparation. We see the, the room is, is a certain man's. We see the attendees at this as being the disciples and Jesus. Are you getting a picture in your head? When we were in Jerusalem over in Israel, uh, I guess last year, we had the opportunity to go into what they say is the upper room where this, this place was, was set forth, where, where this took place. And these, these 13 with Jesus are gathered there. That's, that's where they're headed with the preparation to do this. So that's the preparation and the place that God set forth. Then they move over to what the disciples see as their uh, a function of the night. You see, they don't quite understand. They, they realize by law, by, by law, it, it, the, the Jewish law, that it is Passover season. 
There's a certain night, a certain time, a certain way that those things are to be done, and they realize it's that time. So even as Jesus is saying these things and saying, find this certain man, find this certain place, set up this certain meal, be, be prepared for this, they're all thinking about this next section of Scripture where it talks about the Passover. In their heart, in their mind, they realize that it's Passover season and they're about to partake of the Passover. Unfortunately, when we mention the Passover, we don't think much about it. We don't think much about it as, as today's Christians. But what was the Passover? The Passover for that Jewish community was, was life. It, it, it was a remembrance of that which God had done for them. Remember, they were a nation that was God's chosen people, but because of the way that they had acted in all reality, the fact that they chose for themselves, they wanted a king like everyone else, and they, they rejected God in things, and they chose to do other things that they wanted to do, and in all of that, in God's grand scheme of things and His plan, they had been in bondage. They have been in bondage to the Egyptians. They have been in bondage for a number of years. In bondage, what, what was their function? They were the labor force. They were the labor force of a, of a nation is, is what they were. They built the things. They did all those things. They, they were slaves. They were, they were slaves. And God had provided a way for them to escape. Remember the plagues? There was locusts and frogs and bloody water. There was all kinds of things. And, and the Pharaoh, even after the plagues, <laughs> after each of the plagues, he would say, no, you're, you're not leaving you're, you're not leaving this place. and God was showing him the signs that he needed to be released. Moses was going to say, release my people is what God says. Let, let my people go. You know the statement that was being said. And, and Pharaoh would say no, and a plague would come. And, and Moses would come back and say, let my people go. And he'd say no, and a plague would come. And this happened over and over and over until one, one particular night. One particular night, the chosen, God's family, the Israelites, those Jews, were told, tonight you need to go and you need to, to get this, this special lamb and it needs to live with you for some 14 days in your home. It, it needs to become a part of your family. Your kids need to learn to pet it and love it and it needs to lay in their lap. You need to see this animal in your home every day. It doesn't need to be one that's out on a field somewhere that you glance across. No, it needs to be in your home for some 14 days. And then as it end of the 14-day period ended, God said, this is what I want you to do with that lamb. I want you to do the Day of Atonement, so to speak, in a different manner. I want you to slay that lamb. I want it to completely be consumed tonight, none to be left. If you have to, get your neighbors to join in with you because the lamb is bigger than your family can handle. You get them to join and I want you to slay that lamb, and I want you to, to do this process. He gives them this process, and he says, these are the things I want to do, but remember the story. He says, I want you to do this with sandals on your feet, fully dressed, with the staff in your hand. Remember the story. Why? Because they would need to leave quickly. God was about to do something that was going to be different for them. What was about to happen? What was about to happen? What, what was the whole story? What was this Passover? This Passover was because Pharaoh refused to let his people go. He refused to re release God's people and held them in bondage. And God said, I've given you opportunity. 
after opportunity, after opportunity, and you've said, no, Pharaoh. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Tonight, the death angel is going to visit. The firstborn of everything will die tonight. Unless the blood of the sacrifice is spread with the hyssop branch on the lintel and the doorpost of the house. For those that followed that which God had prescribed for them to do, and they placed that blood on the doorpost and the lintel of their house, when the death angel visited the city, he passed over the house that was covered in the blood of the sacrifice. See the picture? See the picture? God said, I'm going to provide. There's going to be a way to do it, but I'm going to tell you how. You, there's only one way, and this is the only way. When the death angel sees the blood of that prescribed sacrifice on your house, that death angel will pass over. So as they come to the table, as they go to this house and prepare, and we see in verse 20 it says, when evening had come, they come to this table. What did they have in mind? As it says, he sat down with the twelve. What were they thinking? They were thinking the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, the passing over of the death angel, God providing a way out of bondage for them, saving their life. They were thinking these things. And then Matthew goes into this grand, elaborate explanation about the Passover whenever he says, now as they were eating. That's all he says. <laughs> he says, now as they were eating. He, he doesn't give us an explanation of what happened. He doesn't tell us about the elements, but you know there were several cups there that would have been apart. Those cups would have been filled with wine mixed with water, and they each represented something. There would have been served that night a lamb that represented the sacrifice. There would have been that night bitter herbs, a paste that reminded them of that, that bondage, that, that bondage that would also with that would have reminded them in the in the serving of certain things, the kerosene, that there would have been this this remembrance of the making of bricks that they had to do and and those sorts of things. There would have been within that that ceremony several objects that would have reminded them of the time that they had been in bondage and the fact that God had released them through that sacrificial process. And now they sat down at the table together with Jesus. If you read the other accounts of the story in the Gospels, we don't have time to do that this morning. But you'll realize that as they sat down, apparently they approached the table with some haste. It was always the custom of the time when someone had you over for dinner that they would show hospitality to you whenever you came in. It's a little different in our homes now, but as they sat at the table, they didn't really pull up a chair to the table and put their feet under the table. They pulled up a bed to the table, so to speak. They reclined. With reclining, their feet would be stuck out to the side, and the next person's head would be laying next to that person's feet. So out of hospitality for those that come, they would generally have a servant there that would wash the feet of those that came. In some cases, they would even anoint their head with oil because of the dry and dusty atmosphere that they were in. But you'll notice it doesn't mention in this passage, nor any of the others, I might add, that that took place. Here was Jesus. And his 12 followers, and there had been little to no hospitality shown. If you read the other accounts of the gospel, you'll realize somewhere during the eating process, probably when the cup of cleansing came up, and they remembered the fact as they partook of this cup, that it was important that whenever you approached 
uh, God that you approach God with clean hands and a pure heart. It was a remembrance for them that there was a prescribed way to come before the Father. And that way was to come having confessed your sin and repented of those sins and allowed God to do His, His forgiving work in your life. And it was probably during that time as they passed that cup and they were partaking it that they thought about this cleansing. This cleansing, if you read one of the other gospel accounts, and I, I believe it happens to be in Mark, if memory serves me correctly, it was during the same period of time that a discussion started among those that were sitting at the table. A question. A question about who was the greatest in the kingdom. So even as they were participating in, in something that reminded them that they needed to be cleansed within, as, as they would partake of the cup or they, they'd wash their hands and do those things, as they remember this inward cleansing, they were having a discussion about who was the greatest. Showing that they had no idea of what they were even doing. What did Jesus do? Do you remember from the other accounts? They're all reclined at the table participating in the Passover meal. And Jesus gets up and he lays aside his robe. He girds himself. means he pulls up his lower part of his gown and girded it underneath his belt. He picked up a towel that was there and tucked it into his belt. And he picked up a basin of water. And he went around to the feet of each of the twelve men. And he washed their feet. He washed your feet. Jesus, God-man, the Creator, stooped before each man and washed his feet. Let that sink in as you get ready to approach the table this morning. He came around and said, you need cleansing. Remember Peter's answer. What did Peter say? Foot and mouth is what I call him. He said, you're not washing my feet. Hold on a second. No, this isn't going to happen. What did Jesus tell him? If I wash, don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And Peter responded, wash me all over. And Jesus said, you don't need to be washed all over. You've been cleansed. He was saying, you recognize that I am your salvation. You've been cleansed, yet Walking in this world, you've gotten a little dirty. He was saying, even though all your sins have been forgiven, you have sinned and need to be forgiven for those sins since that time in your life. Does anybody identify? There are many here today that can honestly say, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I hope that's everyone in the room. If not, I hope before today's over, you come and find me and let me explain to you what that means. But even though you can say, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I think in honesty in each of your hearts, you can say, my feet need washing. My feet need washing. Because the Bible says that for all who have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that's everyone in this room, including your pastor, it says that Jesus came and he died for our sins. While we were yet sinners, he gave his life for us. Yes, it says that he was buried and he rose again. If we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Yes, it says all that, and that's true. For each of us, that is the truth. If you will recognize the fact that you were a sinner in need of a Savior, that Savior is Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, and that He died on a cross for your sins, that He was buried in a grave, that He rose three days later, that you might have life eternal. And if you will believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. Period. In that same Bible. 1 John 1, 1.9 1 John being written to the Christians. Each of us that know Jesus as our Lord and Savior says this, that if you will confess your sins. God and God alone is faithful to forgive you those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Which tells me this. 
even though I have been forgiven of all my sins, I will in my humanness in this world continue at times to sin. And it's when I sin, after I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that it breaks that relationship, that fellowship with God. And what Jesus was telling those disciples when he nailed at their feet and washed their feet was this. You believe in me. You believe in me, yet you still need to have those daily sins cleansed from your life. Jesus is not going to show up today with a basin of water and a towel girded around his waist to wash your feet, but he is here. The Holy Spirit is here to say this to you, that if the Holy Spirit reveals in your heart something that you have not confessed before God that is sin in your life, that you need to confess that trusting that Jesus is who he said he is, and that God will do what he said he will do, which is forgive you of that sin. Why is it important? If you read the, the epistle accounts of the Lord's Supper table, you will read in those that there are some who partook of the table that fell asleep. There's been arguments for years of what it meant that they fell asleep. I believe it's very simple. To partake of the table in an unworthy manner, Causes you some great problems. One of those problems could literally be death. Because what you're about to do is participate in the remembrance of what Christ did for you. You should only come to this table in the same manner God says that we should worship Him. Clean hands and a pure heart. And that's being honest before holy God saying, I have sinned against you. I recognize that sin in my life. I recognize that you will forgive me of that sin if I will confess it. And you confess that sin to him, trusting that he will do his part because he is faithful. So as he washed their feet at that Passover, that's what he was giving them examples of. In this particular text, we see that there was a betraying of him by Judas. How do we know that all of the disciples needed cleansing? It's through this account of the betrayal. Because Jesus said, there is one who sits at this table with me that partakes of this meal that will betray me. Will betray me. Notice nobody pointed a finger at Judas. Notice nobody pointed a finger at anybody but themselves. All twelve. All twelve asked a question of Jesus. Is it a Think about that for a minute. All 12 at the table still needed Jesus' forgiveness and cleansing in their heart. They all knew there was something within them that they could be that person. That's how we know that the cleansing is important. It goes on as it exits that section of text in the 25th verse that Judas asked Jesus, Rabbi, is it I? That's not the focus of our message this morning, but that is the focus of the heart of a man who was about to do the thing that would forever damn him. Jesus looked at him and said, It is as you have said. I think about that passage. I make no implications with this statement. But I wonder how many here today realize there is something within you that is sin against a holy God. And you so much enjoy that in your life that you're not willing to come before Him and say, is it there? Does it need to be cleansed? And be honest with God on that. You know, it, it's not a matter of what, whether or not God will forgive you. 
It's a matter of whether or not you desire for him to forgive you. This morning, before we partake of the table, I'll pray for us in a few minutes and give you the opportunity to be honest with God. Be honest with God not about your sin. He already knows about it. Be honest with God that you agree with him that it's sin. And come before holy God and say, is it I? Is there anything within me, God, that I need to ask for forgiveness for? So there was a the preparation of the place. There was the Passover and the forgiveness of Jesus. And then it moves very quickly into that 26th verse. And it says in that 26th verse that as they were eating, so they were participating in this, this Passover meal. Which, by the way, this Passover meal will be the last legitimate Passover meal to ever be done. The last one. How do we know that? Because right here in this text, we see Jesus take what is the Passover in remembrance of what had been prescribed, and he changes it into that which he was about to do. That's why we gather around the Lord's Supper table, or communion as we call it. He took that Passover meal and he converted it into this Lord's Supper. And he says this in that 26th verse, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. There was nothing out of the ordinary even in the Passover, for that statement, that was a normal part. Here's the catch. He says, take and eat. This is my body. This is my body. What is he telling them and us with that text? The Passover lamb that you have been celebrating with at Passover, guys, until this time, it was a a symbol of... A sacrifice that was given pointing to something. All the Old Testament rituals, so to speak, or festivals, all of those things were pointing to something. You know what he's saying? You're looking in the eyes of the something. It's me. I'm what all of Old Testament Scripture was pointing towards. Me. Jesus. And he says, this bread that you're about to partake of, I want you to remember in just a few hours, in just a few hours, what this bread is going to represent. It's going to represent my body. My body that's willingly given for your sins. He says, take, eat, for this is my body. Then he picks up the the cup off the table. And he took the cup and he gave thanks over it again. and And he gave it to them. Again, nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing out of the ordinary for the Passover. And then he says, drink from it, all of you. So they passed this cup around. Again, very ordinary. Very ordinary for the Passover. But then then he says this, For this is my blood of the new covenant. Here's where he sets in the place the fact that all of the ritual things in the past pointed from the old covenant into a new covenant. And the new covenant was going to be the blood that flowed from the body of Jesus Christ. That the scripture tells us washes away our sin. He said there's this new government. No longer will you need to come yearly to the, to the uh, city of Jerusalem. No longer will you need to sacrifice lambs. No longer will you need to gather and do this prescribed method. Because I'm about to do once and for all what no lamb could do at any given time. I'm about to be the lamb. I'm about to die for you. He says this blood is going to be for, it says, shed for many for the remissions of sin. See, he came with a purpose, to seek and to save the lost. How was he to do it? His body was going to be hung upon a cross. His blood was going to be spilled for the remission of our sins. What an awesome picture. What an awesome picture of what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say these words. This is why why we gather together periodically and do this as a church together. 
It's looking forward to a day. It's looking forward to the day that he mentions right here in verse 29. He says, but I say to you, this being Jesus, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Think about the day. Think about the day that Jesus hands you the cup at the table. And he says, drink for this is my blood that was spilled for the remission of your sins. See, this morning we gather around the table to remember that which Christ has done for us and look forward to the day that we're able to sit at His feet with what meager thinks that we can give and thank Him for it. And not only sit there once, but sit there for all of eternity. This morning we gather around the table. We gather around the table to remember that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will never perish, but will have eternal life. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.